Just a quick message before the show begins. We're a year in now and I've really enjoyed doing this and I hope you've been enjoying it too. If you have, then please like and share the content and get in touch with any thoughts and feedback and hopefully we can keep growing the show and getting more incredible guests. Thanks and back to the show. I'm Adam Gow, the DJ formerly and sometimes currently known as Waxon. Welcome to the Once a DJ podcast. DJing and DJ culture have been a huge part of my life for better or worse. They've given me a massive buzz at times and loads of stress at others and taught me a load of valuable lessons along the way. On this podcast I speak to DJs from around the world who've made the names when it was just about skills and selection, not social media followers. We'll discuss their journey through Ascendancy and what part it plays in their life now. Whether they're still on the scene, said goodbye to the decks forever, or still get a sneaky mix in when life gives them the chance. Whatever road they've travelled, they were always once a DJ. So, Roger Bong, thanks a lot for coming on the show. And you're in Finland at the moment, aren't you? Yeah, I'm here for a couple of weeks and then I'm going to make my way to Japan uh, after this. And finally back home to Hawaii. <laughs> Amazing. So what, what's brought you over here? Is it to do with the label and the shop and DJing? A little bit, yeah. Actually, I played um, some sets, some very very mellow, very casual DJ sets at the Odysseus Festival, which is run by uh, We Jazz Records here in Helsinki. Okay, so just to get into your story then, I'm really excited to learn about Hawaii really because my only exposure to Hawaii is seeing a bit of footage in a Wu-Tang documentary where they're on a stage at the bottom of some mountains which looks incredible and Magnum PI that that's the limit of my knowledge I'm embarrassingly naive well that's a great start <laughs> that's a great start <laughs> so how, how does it differ to, to Magnum PI then what was it like for you discovering music and, and kind of growing up there as a, as a child you know, I think that, that Wu-Tang, that, that concert series um, at the bottom of the mountains was a little bit before my time. Um, I was probably a little bit too young to attend some of those. I want to say, uh, I'm just off the top of my head, I want to say like Fishbone also performed there. And there's just these like super fun, crazy, epic concerts outdoors. Yeah, in the most, yeah, one of the most remote locations in the world, right? Hawaii. Um, but, you know, I was actually born in the pacific northwest like the west coast u.s and then at a young age my family moved to hawaii so we didn't have a connection to the islands um prior to that like i don't have family or heritage living in the islands um what took you over there was it um, a parent's work or something yeah my father got a job there later on in life he told me he had applied to honolulu and rome italy and it was like Honolulu it is. <laughs> so this could be a very different universe for me if it, he had taken the other job, I guess, or if he had gotten that one. But anyway, so yeah, I mean, like growing up here or growing up in, in Hawaii is like a very special experience with the people and of course the climate surrounding the environment, but also um, just kind of like the many cultures from all these different ethnic backgrounds, right, that um, come together. And then also, I mean, I kind of describe to people it's this it's like probably one of the best places in the u.s you know it's the 50th state of the u.s um but it's probably one of the best places in the u.s because it has this like really genuine and special kind of mix of east and west in a way like you're not in america but you are in america and there's a lot to be said there but 
yeah, it's like I, I actually can't see myself living in many other places in the U.S. outside of Hawaii just because how special and like the energy and the, the aloha spirit, like that respect and love for people. And, um, but music-wise, like, I don't know. I grew up uh, skateboarding and, you know, a lot of music, a lot of great music, watching skate videos. Um, and then got into record collecting in high school. My friends and I started making beats. Uh but it wasn't until I moved away and went to university that I started to get really homesick. And then I started to like kind of miss the music from the islands. Can't say that I know knew much about Hawaii's music at that time. It was just, you know, you grow up in a place and there's, it, it's a very musical place. There's, it's everywhere, right? You grew up there, you kind of just synthesize it. So yeah, it was really like my personal experience of being um, homesick when I was in college. And then... I was um, had just graduated. It was about a year after, and I'd stumbled upon this DJ mix from Tokyo's DJ Muro, and he put out this amazing mix called Hawaiian Breaks, and it like it just like arrived into my life at the a very perfect time because, like I said, I was very homesick, and then I heard this stuff, and I was like, I was still sampling. I wasn't DJing at that point, aside from radio, like college radio DJ, right? Um, I heard this, and I was like, wow, I need to know what this is, you know. So just just a couple of questions then. Yeah. So when you were growing up in skating, was the skating scene kind of similar where um, punk and hip hop were both quite big things for for skaters to listen to in Hawaii? Yeah, I would say so. Um, but but also like we listened to it. Like, we listened to all kinds of everything. And what was it like for? Obviously, we've discussed the Wu Tang gigs. Um, what what was it like for access to mainland artists? Were you getting a lot of artists coming over on tours? It's it's kind of like here and there. Like I remember one of the my favorite concerts was seeing Sigur Rose, which is like an Icelandic band, right? And they came over and played the Hawaii Theater in like I think it was like 2004 or something, and it was so special. It was like one of the best concerts I've ever been to. But I mean, for them to be all the way out there. Um, that's quite a lot of effort, right? And it's it's just expensive for for bands to get to Hawaii to begin with. So, no, there's not a lot of access. How long does it take to get from mainland? From from LA, it's maybe five and a half or six hours. Yes, yeah, so it's a fair distance then. Yeah, but um, I mean, like you can see some really great shows there. And, and nowadays, there's there's some really nice, some a couple of really great venues. Um, we have a Blue Note as well. So I got to see Chick Corea play like. And it turns out, like he passed away a few months later. Yeah, um, yeah. I, but but growing up, I mean, I lived in the center of Oahu, which is like the most populous island. And so I didn't. If I think if I had grown up in Honolulu proper, uh, maybe my story would be a lot more, uh, a lot different, and my um, adolescent years would be more involved in the, the scene. But I, I used to go to some punk shows and whatnot, like Chinatown, Honolulu, and stuff but the scene the scenes are so small they kind of like they they mix really um really easily do you find that you get a lot of kind of hybrid music over there then through that kind of cross-pollination i think it's quite easy enough because you can go to a, a show and it's like maybe it's a punk band and then they're like a different band playing before them and then another d- different style after that um but you know maybe this is just kind of the critic in me but you know because hawaii is so far removed from everything and the population on the island on oahu is like 
1.5 million maybe or i'm sorry 1 million it's like 1.5 across the islands it's it's really small um and of course the lifestyle like it's gorgeous it's red really like there are no there's two seasons dry and then rains a little bit more than usual (laughs) (laughs) right dry and wet right but uh so it's very it's very it can be very relaxed and the point i'm getting at is that um like in in other bigger cities like i in in my travels like i found that the energies in other cities are often um like there's a lot everyone's trying to like do a little bit better do a little bit better and it's everyone's kind of feeding off that energy kind of the bar keeps raising right whereas in this is my personal opinion but sometimes in hawaii like no one's needing to raise the bar because there's really not that many people to begin with and the 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 competition's kind of low i i I guess um healthy competition right so so sometimes there's just not uh the sometimes the standard kind of sits at the same spot for a long time if if that makes any sense but yeah but then to bring it back like so the music that i've been digging which is like stuff from the 70s and early 80s like musicians were you know there were some of the best acts of all time you know during that era and so the musicians in hawaii were all really good and they're all trying to be better it it was just you know they were just building upon each other at that time yeah so where, where did you go to college? I went to the University of Oregon in Eugene, Oregon, and that's um, that's how I got into radio programming or radio DJing, I guess you could say. Was it all hip hop that you were DJing before that, or were you just kind of no, not, varied? Not at all. Like uh, you know, I, I only listened to so much hip hop, you know, um, growing up. Like I listened to a lot of Doom and Madlib and. Um, yeah, so when I was playing on my show was more jazz, I would say. Hmm. Like my show was on Sundays and they had a pretty great uh like small record convention in Eugene, Oregon every year. And I remember going to the convention and like digging before my show and then coming back to my show and I had found like two copies of Herbie Hancock's Headhunters. Um which it's just funny cuz I feel like nowadays it's it's more difficult to come up across that cop that record um we had found two and i was like cool i'm gonna give one away on air you know and so i'd play yeah i'd play a lot of jazz um actually i think that's right i was i became the jazz music jazz genre music director um they had a director for each genre right and i had like applied for the position and what you do is you just kind of maintain the library bring in get new music coming into the station and whatnot I applied to the position and um, didn't hear back from it. I was like, oh, shoot, maybe somebody else got it. But uh, it's a college radio station, very tiny. Uh, I went to the music director at some point later that week. I was like, hey, so, you know, I submitted my application, uh, didn't hear back. And the music director was like, oh, uh, oh, yeah, you know, nobody else applied except for you. So you got it. <laughs> I was like, oh, cool. And and I, I did I, I from there I started reaching out to a bunch of labels and brought in a bunch of stuff. Did they have like a vast archive for you to go out for the jazz stuff? Not at all. No, they had some CDs and whatnot, but no vinyl. I mean, Eugene uh, University of Oregon's radio station was like really small, right? Um, and so there wasn't even any room to store vinyl. So actually, what, what like the perk of the job, right, was I would reach out to labels and they would send stuff in. 
mostly CDs, but sometimes I was in vinyl. And I'd be like, well, I guess the station doesn't need this record, so I'll just keep it. Was was it when you were in Hawaii? I appreciate I appreciate we're going kind of yeah, back and yeah, forth. Yeah, yeah. So when you were in Hawaii, was it a lot of jazz that you were digging? Uh yeah, it was a lot. Of, it was a lot of everything because I was um, at that time before I had moved to Oregon for school. I was digging for samples primarily. Was it hip hop that you were making? Yeah, yeah, hip hop beats. Yep. What sort of things were you finding there was kind of decent access to? Because I find it depends where I go as to what sort of things I can get. Yeah. So there's a lot more of certain stuff you can get in London, for example. Like round where I live, there's loads of Northern Soul. If that's your, if that's your thing, yeah, that's a big thing up here. But oh yeah, kind of Modern Soul. There's bits of rare groove, but say like Modern Soul and that boogie stuff is there's a lot less and a lot less of the good seventies soul. Yeah, I I would say there's some good soul, um, disco, some jazz, but but nothing that ever goes too deep or or. Or even like if you find some stuff, there's never like a lot of it, yeah. right? These gems. Um, so kind of, I don't want to say, I don't want to say basic, but I want to say like really, of course, it's Hawaii. So really, where the gems are, it's yes. Hawaiian music, it's musical, regional music, yeah. right? So when you got over to the mainland, is it okay to call it, to refer to it as the mainland? Yeah. Oh yeah. Just yeah, I don't want to say anything kind of disrespectful. Um, so when you got over to the mainland and you got to kind of record fairs and things, was that pretty exciting to seeing like the difference in the things you could pull out? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, like uh, a dream for someone growing up in kind of like a suburb of Honolulu to be in a place where now there's just like so many of these things. So were you, do, were you doing more DJing out or was it purely just radio? I was purely doing radio DJ uh, in college. And then... It was when I moved back to Honolulu after graduating. Um, I was introduced to my now good friend, Oliver Seguin, uh, who now works full-time at my record shop, right? But we we met when I moved back, and he had heard somehow about a log I'd sold a blog, right? Um, and then we became really good friends, and at some point, he's been a DJ for a long time. At some point, he and his friend were like, oh, we should organize a party. Roger, do you want to you know, be the opening DJ. And I was like, sure, I don't really, you know, really know what that means in this context of like, a, we, we played that like a, it was like a little pub, right? But I was like, sure. And I remember that gig was, was so funny because like, I think there was a mic, but I was, instead of DJing as if it were a kind of gig, I was like DJing more like a radio style. It worked, it worked fine, but looking back, I was like, just it's really funny to think that that was kind of my only reference point yeah i've not really got into the, the conversation with anyone about the mic skills that you pick up because um i've just put an episode live today with um rob percy and on our chat he was really really comfortable talking away and, and the more that i've listened to his um show on soho radio the more it all makes sense to me he's just he's honed that that microphone sort of skill over time yeah um so did you find that the, um, the, the the talking kind of came pretty naturally because of all the radio work then? Yes, and it still does, I would say. Although I don't really talk during my sets um, anymore. But I'm still doing radio quite regularly now. Yeah. So just going back then to, again, so you mentioned about Muro's Hawaiian Breaks mix, which is for anyone listening, it's an incredible mix, as are 
basically everything that Muro does. He's he's just one of the best. Um, so from that point, was it a conscious decision to start the blog then? And and we did you just start going in, or did you just kind of casually pick away at it? Yeah, it was very intentional. Actually, the first blog post was the I think I had uncovered with the help of some other people I had uncovered most if not all of the tracks on that Hawaiian Breaks mix and that was the first blog post and that was the reason why I put the blog up yeah and it's not easy to find um, to find the full track list for a Muro mix I remember I was obsessed with trying <laughs> to get the, the track list for Taste of White Chocolate okay yeah because there's a couple of amazing songs on there and I don't I still don't think I ever found it yeah well well, it was it was I, was, I think I was relying on soulstrap.com which is like a great diggers uh Form at the time, and I think I forget what else. But it's funny. I, I met somebody who um, was from Hawaii, but living in San Francisco at the time. And then I also met someone else who was living in Seattle. I want to say, and then a digger from France who was like into some of the tracks. So like, you know, between three or four people, that's how the track list came to came to the surface, came to light. Yeah, I mean, Soulstruck's got some incredible knowledge on it some real heavy hitters on there yeah <laughs> um I rem- I, that's probably where i first came across the blog as well because i got i've probably still got it bookmarked somewhere there was a, a post with the vic mallow yes vic mallow vic mallow mallow that um i think it's seven inch and it's just amazing ah yeah and that's that, that's that was kind of my hooking because i think from what i heard of the hawaiian stuff i've not it's like everything. There's just so, just so much music to get at, particularly since the blog era. I was just obsessed with what next, what next, what next. But um, what I found with the um, with the kind of Hawaiian stuff that I was listening to on the blog, it's just that sunshine and that laid back sort of nature just comes through all the music. It's the same with a lot of like the West Coast AOR stuff as well. And it's so um, it, it just really gets you. Yeah, it feels good. Feels good and like it hits it hits a spot for sure. Did it really kind of satisfy that need for connection back to Hawaii then whilst you were at college? Did it did it did you get enough out of it? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean it was like in some ways it was my ticket home too, because when I moved back home, which was in two thousand eleven, um I had something to do, you know? I had so I had a reason to be, to be back. Because by the time I moved back in 2011, like my my family had left and moved back to the mainland. When did you start the blog? Was that about 2008? Let's see, 2010. So I was still living in Oregon when I started it. And I was like, you know, I had uncovered the track list. And then that's when I started looking on like eBay, had some stuff and just trying to find these records however I could while still living in the mainland. Um, and it was interesting, like the, the, the blog, like just trying to be as detailed as I could when I found these records, putting as many of the liner notes up, like who played on what, that's when some of the artists or, or musicians on these records, like started reaching out because they would Google their name and find this blog, you know, at the time too, there was only, I want to say like Japanese selectors who were blogging about these funky records from Hawaii. So everything was in Japanese. So I had just graduated from journalism school. And one of the things that I left with was like, I should start like a, it would be, you know, smart of me to start 
a personal project where I can continue writing and build a portfolio while I start to pursue this career in journalism. At what point did the blog start to kind of blow up? At what point were you like, I'm, on, I'm really onto something here? Was it before or after you moved back to Hawaii? I want to say it was probably after I moved back. Um, but, you know, interestingly enough, it was there, there was really early, there was early interest in the blog from all parts of the world, including London. Music writer named Anton Spice reached out and had me do a mix. And uh, we, he wrote an article for this now defunct um, online music magazine. But we've kept in touch. I actually met him for the first time in person last year. Um, but yeah, it was all this international interest. And that, that go, kind of goes without saying because, you know, these record collectors and the crate digging culture is very much international. And, you know, now it's a, it's been a label for eight years. It's been a record store for two years. It's been a blog for 13. It's all been a very gradual process. And there's been these like, maybe there's been these micro blow ups, so to speak. Mm. Uh, in 2016, one year after running the label, I was put in touch with uh, Strut Records and I did a compilation for Strut Records uh, under the same name, Aloha God Soul. And that's how, that, that's really kind of what catapulted my work around the world. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying Once a DJ. I wanted to create a product for the listeners to be able to support the show and for the guests as a token of gratitude for being on. So I've teamed up with Sure Shot Shop to create some Winter DJ 45 RPM adapter clamps. These are my weapon of choice as a 45 adapter as they add stability and grip to aid you in any setup. These are available for £25 each plus flat fee postage from winterdj.bigcartel.com and if you'd like to see the other models you can buy and also customise, check out showshotshop.com. If you're a DJ who's been wanting to get into production but don't know where to start, or if you're looking to level up your beat making skills, look no further than howtomakemusic.co's online courses and personal coaching. Chris, the founder of How To Make Music, as well as knowing a load about music production, was once a DJ, and so his courses are ideal for the likes of us. From the Music Theory Essentials course to the incredibly thorough Ableton Turbo Start, there's a ton of good information to get you developing your music production skills. In addition to the video tutorials, there's a load of reference guides and they even offer personal coaching to get you where you want to be even quicker. And if you buy any course at howtomakemusic.co using the code ONCEADJ at checkout, you'll receive 10% off. So what are you waiting for? Visit howtomakemusic.co. So when you were just doing the blog, because we'll come to the label as well shortly, when you were first just doing the blog then, did you have a full-time job as well? Yeah, I was still working full-time up until 2017. I had a few different jobs in like marketing and PR and video production and whatnot. Yeah. But it's, you know, I mentioned earlier, like starting the blog while I was away and then moving back was great because it gave me this like purpose and reason to be back home. I'd actually had a job interview set up or when I was, I set it up before I moved home. And then when I moved home, uh, it was with a Japanese company. And when I moved home three days later, that 2011 earthquake struck and a huge tsunami hit the, the um, Tohoku earthquake, right? Needless to say, the company had set up an interview with me, uh, interview with, uh, I wasn't able to not, not even hire me, but they did, they just canceled the interview. 
I guess it was a blessing in disguise because I like really started to focus on the blog at that point. Like, okay, this is it for me. I, I know firsthand when you we, you take on something that's effectively it's a passion project, but with a wider aim. Yeah, which is what this podcast is really. Yeah, um, I'm fully aware of how it can really take over the amount of time that you can end up pouring into it. And, and it's quite hard to pull back. How did you find that? Have you been able to balance things easily or is there times where it's just you, you, people have had to be like, you don't have to work so hard? Yeah, that's a really great question. And kudos to you for you know running this project, uh, personal project. I burned out super hard uh, last year. It was finally the culmination of you know going just nonstop for 10 plus years straight. Mm. Um, yeah, because but but in terms of like holding a full time job and running my personal project, you know, I quit at the end of twenty seventeen. That was almost three years after I'd started the label, right? Um, but for me, I really try to do a good job in everything I do, and I guess what I've distilled it to is I want to give one hundred percent to whatever I'm doing. What I realized was I was giving 100% to both my full-time job and my personal project, but it had, re- it had reached a point where it was just too much work for either of those. And so I was reaching this point where I could no longer give 100% to both. You know, Both were going to begin to suffer. So I had to remove one from the equation in order to continue to give my best to one of them. And I knew it was going to be my thing. You know, was there any, did it feel like a risk? Uh, yeah, totally felt like a risk, but I felt comfortable taking that risk because I, I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into it, I'm sh- I'm sure, but, um, I just felt like it, it really needed to happen. I had no idea how it was going to happen, how it was going to work out because, uh, I like running a label is is a lot of work and you have to be consistent and that's something I still have I'm still working on right um but I also knew that I couldn't keep like I was I was fortunate enough to work for a great company and they would like let me ship records to the office so I'd be working and then I'd have like you know a box of like 545 show up and they'd be like oh like, yeah don't worry I'm gonna throw them out of my car at the end of the shift like <laughs> yeah so a couple of questions from that then. The first one is, with that burnout, did you know at the time leading up to it just how stressed you were or was it only at, at that kind of peak critical point where you kind of looked back almost after the smoke had cleared and just realized like how stressed you had been? I I knew for a couple of years leading up to my burnout um, that it was coming. And I was doing a lot to kind of manage or mitigate the stress levels, but maybe more so like the the, the work load. Yeah. Right? Because running a label, this is before the shop, I, um, before the shop opened. But running a label, there's a lot of royalties that go in, royalties and accounting that go into this, right? So that's a lot to manage yeah. on its own. Um, and then building the brand and whatnot. So... I, I, you know, the 2020 like pandemic lockdown, like having to stay home for six months or I, I forget how long the point, but having to stay home for an extended period of time, like really allowed me to kind of like 
start from scratch and start to really look at what structures needed to be put in place for my hobby turned small business and what I can do with this time to, to start to manage all the, 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 the workload, the things that need to get done. But, you know, I'm looking back and like, why, why am I spending my time doing this that way when I can set something up to allow me to just click a button? Kind of yeah. Thing. Yeah. So, yeah. But then we opened the store in 2021 and yeah, it just started. Yeah. The, the, it started to happen. Yeah. Things started to fall. Like it started to crumble, yeah. I guess. But I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. Yeah. It's a lot to take on when you're already maxed out. Um, <laughs> Yeah. But this is so interesting, I think, and, it, and it's kind of we've gone down a bit of a different route to on a lot of the episodes. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll just drop this in there real quick because, like, you know, in 2020, I had a lot of time to think about what what it is I'm doing. I quit my job at the end of 2017. Okay, I'm going to run this label. I'm going to DJ. And, like, the DJ gigs will help to pay for my expenses, like living expenses, while I continue to build the label, which is so much work. But you don't get much return, right? But I can see these opportunities and things like sync licensing and sampling that could potentially build into something bigger, right? Um, and then, you know, pandemic hit and had to reevaluate a lot of things or just evaluate a lot of things. And one of those things I I kind of decided for myself was like, you know what? I, I'm not really interested in DJing anymore. It's not, it's never really been my thing. Not the reason why I started this. I don't know that I need to keep doing it so much or I need to pursue it, you know, because from the time I quit my job, I was trying to take whatever kind of gigs came my way, like bar gigs or, okay, maybe the odd wedding or something, but it's just, it's a hustle. It's such a hustle. And and in the kind of music that I, I prefer to play or at the time I'd prefer to play, like, didn't always translate into what venues were looking for. I feel like I'm more of a from a selector standpoint than a party DJ kind of standpoint, right? And also my sets are I try to make them kind of like educational, so to speak. Like it, especially when I'm traveling, I try to only play music from Hawaii. And people are like, oh, that's really good. I'm like, yeah, it's all music from Hawaii, the Hawaiian Islands. Like, Wait, what? Really? Okay, you know. So they like for someone like you, Adam, or anybody really listening to it, it kind of my sets and everything else that I put out there into the world are these like entry points into the music from Hawaii and who knows where that's going to lead people. Yeah. I mean, I listened to the is it analog gold, the, the one you did in the really nicely laid out place with the plants and. Oh yes. Oh yeah. Analog journal. Oh yeah. 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 I listened to the, um, my analog journal one the other day and that's absolutely great. Um, recent set of yours. I encourage people to check it out on YouTube. Oh, thank you. So just going back to the label then, um, what was the thing that spawned the label? Did you start it for the artists or did you start it for the audience? What What was the thing that made you think I, I should do this? And was it a lot, like how did you handle, you've mentioned royalties, that the, the contractual side of things, because that is a beast. Yeah, yeah. I I think, um, but I think I, I started it for the artist, yes. For the audience, yes, because the blog had grown to a point where people were hitting me up all the time, like, hey, can you find me a copy of this record? I'm like, no, that's stupid rare. Like, I, I'm still looking for a copy of that <laughs> sort of thing. Uh, um, and then for Hawaii, uh, on a, you know, much bigger picture, and then on a, you know, 
very individual level also for myself right um so i'll explain that real quickly um for the artists you know i i'm just up until this point we've mostly worked with artists who kind of like self-released or their music or own the rights themselves so con the contracts and stuff has been quite simple and easy it's just what's really difficult is building the relationships with people and earning their trust right so do for the artists also because i think their music deserves to be heard i think a lot of people can agree um but being from a place like hawaii you're just kind of so far removed sometimes from um most of the world that it kind of feels out of reach to be able to get your music into you know place like london or japan or you know anywhere really brazil so there's that uh for the audience yeah like i said so many people kept had kept asking me and i'm like you know what i think i know the solution it's just reissue it make more copies uh and then on a bigger scale for hawaii it's like i you know there's so many reissue, reissue labels out there and you know aloha katsul is not purely a reissue label we also work with new artists um but i knew and I still know that anyone from anywhere could potentially just, they could reissue music from Hawaii, which, you know, in all fairness, that's perfectly fine. Um, but if it's coming out of a place like the UK or Japan or anywhere, like that that context, that, that line back to the origin point has been kind of like severed in a way. And it's now being told from somewhere else. So... I also wanted to start the label because I felt like it would be important for at least a reissue label, if not more, to come from the place where the music's being made. Yeah, it, it, it's coming from the heart, isn't it? It's it's not just about making the money and connecting the dots. It's about yeah. the soul of, of where it's from. Yeah, and and to speak to the kind of like crate digging culture, it's 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 not like another badge on my... Like, oh, I, I found this record. I reissued it on my label before anybody else. You know, it's like, it's not, for me, it's not about, it's about the music and the artists. Um, but that's for a very real thing, you know. It, it must be really nice when you, when you re-release something and it gets a really good, it gets really good feedback and then just to be able to give that back to the artist. And it must be really cool for them to know that there's new life being brought into their, their music. Absolutely. I mean, Mike Lundy was uh, his album, The Rhythm of Life, that was the first one we released on our label. And I remember when I gave him the first royalty check from the release, I think he said to me, like, wow. He opened it, he's like, wait, wait what, really? You know, it's, it did pretty well, considering it's just... Um, but he said, I, I think this is the first time I'm ever getting a royalty check for my record, which he made in, like, 79, you know? Wow. Yeah, so it's, it's difficult to maintain close relationships with every artist on the label um but the ones that i do have like more regular contact with yeah everyone's just like really just really supportive of what the label has become and what it's doing that's amazing and so what was then the impetus for um for the physical location was that more was it to have somewhere primarily to operate from for the label or was it that you just you wanted a shop as another business as well? You know, in 2020, I evaluated evaluated a lot of things, and at that point, the majority of kind of the audience for Aloha Soul 
was um, still kind of like more international or outside of Hawaii, right? Um, so I was still like packing and shipping a lot of orders to customers around the world. Um, but I was like, you know, I had I had all the inventory in my apartment. And then at some point it became too much. So I moved into a storage unit. I feel like this is a very classic story. Um, but at some point in, you know, just the, just how 2020 went for most people, including me, like I just knew by the end of that year, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to go to the storage unit and pack orders. Like this is kind of depressing. Um, I, I would love to have a space for myself, like an office, if anything. So I started looking at the beginning of 2021 for that and found a space that was big enough to be both an office and a retail store. And I, I was like, I want to say I've been kind of off and on for years about whether or not I want a shop or like a record shop. Um, and I think around that time I was kind of like, or leading up to that time, I'd kind of been like against the idea because I just didn't want to add that on to the ever-growing list of things that are, you know, contributing to my impending burnout. Um, but when when I saw the space, I knew it would be great to have a shop as well because Honolulu at, at that time only had two record stores, right? And then there's one more on a different island, but that's it. And so um, just there was this opportunity to contribute to the local music community in a very real and substantial way. And we, we felt that it was with the record store. Um, and also just traveling, like I remember Light in the Attic had a great record store kind of adjacent to their warehouse. That They don't have that anymore, but I, I loved that spot. It was this tiny little shop. And when you wanted to check out, you just like they had a window into their warehouse and you would ring the bell and somebody would come up and ring it up, ring you up. But yeah, all these like small kind of boutique record stores that were outside of your typical record store, traditional record store experience, like let's say Amiibo Music, right? It was a great example. I knew I didn't want to do that. And the space was just big enough to have the office and like a small boutique shop. And then when I was reading earlier, was I right, right in reading that you opened the shop during lockdown? Not during lockdown, but it was um, spring of 2021 or June 2021. So there were still quite a lot of restrictions in place, right? So how how was um, adoption to the shop then? Did you get peep? Did you get enough people coming in quite quickly, or was it a slow burner? People embraced it really quickly. Um, the most typical thing was. It was just me and my partner at the time who were working the shop. So between us, and I was still running the label and doing other things, right? So between us, we couldn't. We were only able to keep it open for like three or four days a week at the most. So the hours were really weird. Um, so that was kind of like a that contributed to semi slow start. But now we're open seven days a week, and it's amazing. Yeah, people love coming to the shop. Um, it is a bit out of the way. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. It's not out of the way, but there's not, uh, there's no parking for a shop, which in the U.S. Like, people love parking, unless you're in a place like New York City, right? <laughs> so I, I say that I like to say that our shop is destination retail. So it does take quite a lot of effort for people to get there. Um, but we throw parties on Sundays where it's really easy to get to the shop. And yeah, uh, we're I'm really, really like um, just grateful and 
I don't know if surprised is the right word, but just really grateful with how the community has embraced this, this shop. And even if they're not into records, you know, people are still coming through and enjoying the space. Yeah. Is the shop just for the labels records or do you have other stock as well? We have lots of other stock. Um, I feel like we only have one bin for our releases and we have quite a lot of bins for like Hawaiian and local music. And then we carry used records, of course, collections walk in quite often now. And then for new vinyl, we like to stock uh, like independent music from around the world. And a lot of that, a lot of the selections aren't formed from our tastes as like DJs and, and radio curators, essentially. Because I was thinking with that, if if it was a shop where it was boutique and it was in the shop was just for the label, that's one thing setting up a shop like that. But then with the added responsibilities when you've got to be managing, buying in, going through collections, valuing them, pricing them up, there, there's a lot of work involved. It's a lot of work, yeah. Um, but I, 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 um, some of the tools that I found, um. For the labels business, um, some of the tools that I found in 2020 for the labels business have allowed me to create systems and structures for the shop that make stuff like that a lot more manageable and easy for somebody to do. Um, so it seems like a lot of work, but actually we we get by. And plus, I mean, this is the beauty of small record stores. We don't, need, we don't even need that much inventory. So... Yeah, records slip through the cracks. Maybe we price them wrong. Maybe there's the wrong record inside, or it's the the condition's not as good as it could be. But it's like it's quite as it's a, it's a low number of stuff that happens. Yeah, but I'll say I'll say that like you know for the shop now we're doing about two soon to be three events um, each each month in the store. We have DJs. We have we have our friends do a coffee espresso pop-up uh we're gonna start doing live music in the store and the point i want to make there is that we recognize the need at least in honolulu for alternative spaces and just simply put more venues so we are really trying to push this the store as being a venue for people for music musicians and artists in Honolulu yeah. as well as visiting artists as well I think certainly in the city I live in so I live in a small city in the middle of England and I think certainly there's there's a need for spaces to be successful and have some sort of longevity now there is this real call for them to be multi-purpose as well and um, so I was somewhere um, in London the other day that was like a smoothie and coffee place as well as a record shop quite a small collection of records but really well curated and it just if you get it right it can be it can be really successful and yeah. a real good addition to the community absolutely and i i think I, there's a, there are so many things that informed the opening of the shop and how we operate um but i i honestly think looking back now like one of the things that kind of informed why we do what we do at the store is that kind of realization for me in 2020 where I was like I don't know that I want to DJ anymore because I was finding that what I want to do as a DJ as a selector there's not a lot of places in Honolulu for that you know be like okay you should you know come play at this hotel every Sunday or something or once a month and then I do it 
and you know have a decent response in the in the beginning but eventually you know the hotel restaurant like they gotta they gotta make money they gotta sell alcohol like what's the common denominator for that it's like pool party dj kind of like you, you know what i mean like which i'd be happy to try and do but that's not what i've been you know building upon for the past 10 years and so so now we have the space where we can support djs from all walks of life and we can tell them like you can play with ever you want there's no pressure here we're actually here to just support you um and and we've seen this and we feel like we feel like the customers and the, the community members who come and hang out in the store when we do these events uh, especially we've been doing the in-store dj events more more than any other event so far but what people come and they're like really they're there to listen you know which is really special and it's not that's not the case for a lot of venues yeah and i don't know if you find something because i've kind of stepped away from djing and stepped back to it and got a different relationship with it now which kind of comes full circle into why i started the podcast and and what my approach is and i find that my energy level and my music selection and my mood are all very congruent so I, I find it hard to if I'm if I'm kind of tired out, I find it really hard to bring the sort of energy that you need for sort of party DJing. Uh, so I don't know if that's like a similar thing that you find where it's like I, I don't feel like that this isn't me. Yeah, I think I think what I've found for myself is like doing like a B two B set with someone is really the best way to kind of um, inspire me. If it's that kind of setting, you know, oh, you got, oh, oh my God, you just played that track. Okay. Let me see what I got to match that and like keep the party going. Um, yeah, but, but you know, it's, I say all that, but actually in the past, I think maybe partly like having the store now and, you know, I have two, I have three employees now actually, but, um, you know, two of them are together. We're all buyers. And so every week we have a lot of fun, like buying new vinyl, bringing it into the shop. But um, yeah, this like energy of always being around music, a lot of new music now. Um, that's not just like stuff from Hawaii, right? Uh, ooh, what am I trying to say here? Like, I think I'm actually finding that I'm returning now to wanting to DJ more, and actually want it. Like, I'm curious now more than ever. Like, what is it like to play more parties? Because I've never really been a party DJ. But like, how how am I gonna how am I gonna take what I do and translate it into those kind of spaces, right? So I played this like uh, one of my favorite tracks as of late, and and I only kind of discovered like just made this discovery for myself one day in the shop. We we're just kind of hanging out, and messing around. I was playing some records, and I was like, oh, I think this this would go really well into that. And the track I'm mentioning here is the call upon is freedom. It's from their second album. We reissued it. But it's like this really like fun, high energy kind of jazz funk um, track, and it's it's a bit all over the place. But it actually goes really well with like a house track or be. So, so yeah, I'm like I have a lot of fun now trying to figure out like how do I more so than ever instead of doing these kind of like my analog journal type of um, curated sets, which I love to do. You know, that's like storytelling in a way for me. But I'm trying to figure out now. Um, okay, well, how do I like play more of this kind of party settings where it's like house and disco and throw in every now and then something like call upon us freedom 
or or what so yeah but i think part of it's the way that that house music's gone and the scenes have shifted like you seem to be able to play a lot more brit funk when you put it in amongst house and disco and things like that there's there's more space kind of in yeah. the spurs yeah yeah i feel that it, it all they all just just sits because yeah I've, I've played sort of friday night gigs and been able to play you know like herbie honk no herbie hancock and um yeah some of the more brit funk stuff as well cool. and yeah. um ah like idris muhammad and stuff like that yes. you know yeah and it just kind of works it's fun. It's fun to mix it up like that and kind of like add that flavor, you know. But one of the one of the directions we talk about a lot, one of the directions for the label that we talk about a lot, um, is putting out more like remixes and more tracks for the dance floor, um, new music as well. Um, and we've done a few things here and there on the label, but nothing. There's there's not a substantial catalog yet from Mulholland Soul where we feel like as DJs, as vinyl DJs, we could play. A longer set confidently in that kind of setting with our record title license style hey guys i hope you're enjoying once a dj i wanted to create a product for the listeners to be able to support the show and for the guests as a token of gratitude for being on so i've teamed up with sure shot shop to create some once a dj 45 rpm adapter clamps these are my weapon of choice as a 45 adapter as they add stability and grip to aid you in any setup these are available for £25 each plus flat fee postage from oncedj.bigcartel.com and if you'd like to see the other models you can buy and also customise, check out showshotshop.com. If you're a DJ who's been wanting to get into production but don't know where to start or if you're looking to level up your beat making skills, look no further than howtomakemusic.co's online courses and personal coaching. Chris, the founder of How To Make Music, as well as knowing a load about music production, was once a DJ, and so his courses are ideal for the likes of us. From the Music Theory Essentials course to the incredibly thorough Ableton Turbo Start, there's a ton of good information to get you developing your music production skills. In addition to the video tutorials, there's a load of reference guides, and they even offer personal coaching to get you where you want to be even quicker. And if you buy any course at howtomakemusic.co using the code ONCEADJ at checkout, you'll receive 10% off. So what are you waiting for? Visit howtomakemusic.co. Yeah. Do, do you have access to the multi-tracks for a lot of the um, releases? No, actually very few. But I think at that point, uh, at this time, it's kind of a moot point, right? Because there's so many different software, like, programs available or you can just kind of pull the stems where you need them yeah you, you can do a lot with it it's it's still not from my experience it's it's still not as good as the multi-track like it's impressive but it's not quite the same as just having everything tracked out but i was just wondering about that because it it, it means your remixing is approached differently doesn't it so it's going to be a lot more kind of sampling rather than that full remixes yeah yeah but um another point on the on the store then you've mentioned about having and this comes back to the the business and the burnout and all that side of things is what was your experience about getting your first employees and just relinquishing control because i think when you run your own business that is a quite a big deal for a lot of people how do i get someone in and it's it's even with people you trust there's there's still 
or there can it can be a big leap of faith to get someone doing something even though they might end up doing it better than you i so my first employee was my friend who i mentioned earlier oliver who i met when i just moved back to hawaii after college um and we've been friends for you know since before i was djing i guess <laughs> um but what am I trying to say here? And we, and Oliver and I have been DJing together for a long time. So we have that kind of working relationship, if you will. Um, but when I opened the store, I knew there was a, there was going to be some kind of chance for him to work there as well. And in fact, I was even, we even had a meeting or two prior to opening the space where I was trying to like gauge how he might be able to contribute you know um but he has a, he has a family and he needs to work a, a regular job he, it's it's very difficult for him to do like side projects passion projects kind of thing um so that was that we opened it in june 2021 i hired him february of 2022 right and let's see i'm just trying to like put all because there's a lot of thoughts bouncing around but um, but yeah, so I knew at the beginning of 2022 that, okay, need to hire somebody, need to hire somebody. My partner at the time, um, she was working a certain number of shifts, but had expressed that she no longer wanted to be working at the shop, you know, because re retail life is, it's a lot, it's a lot, you know, providing that customer service. Um, so, okay, it's time to start looking for somebody. Oliver would be a great candidate. But he's a really good friend. I don't want to like hire him and then jeopardize our friendship, right? I don't know what he's like in that kind of work context outside of DJing. Um, so what I did was, um, let's see, we had a lot of conversations about that first and foremost. But I also, several months before, had started like keeping a log and building out, a, a keeping a log of every every task I was doing for the shop and what it took. And I started building out this kind of like handbook, right? That explained pretty much everything that I was doing, as well as also kind of explaining all the intentions and the thoughts that have gone into the shop and what makes it the shop and the ethos and the mission, right? So I had all of this kind of laid out in, I'm using Notion, um, which, which I'm sure most people are familiar with at this point, but using Notion and yeah, so I just I just put in a lot of effort upfront before I hired him to make sure that the training part and bringing him on board was as smooth as possible. And so far, it's been as smooth as possible. Um, and then I'll also say on top of that, like this is this is really I have been like managing two employees now for almost or maybe more than a year now and it's still it's very much a learning process for me i've for so long aloha Soul has been like i've been the face so much has been you know it's almost been a one one man show pretty much the, um what am i trying to say here um let me dial that back actually you know i've been i've, I've been managing like you know oliver and, and my other employee max for about a year and i've learned so much about what it takes to you know, work with your employees. And so I think one other really critical part is like understanding, but also like talking about their kind of like their weaknesses, right? 
What are they not good at? What is, what is, what do they find really challenging? And and how does that like play into the the business? You know, because like um, you know Oliver. Like doing the, I told you earlier, like I set up a bunch of systems for things like inventory. Well, Oliver, that's not his, you know, strong point. So when it came to doing inventory, it was, it was, you know, it was difficult. And I found, we, we found out by talking about it later on that, you know what, it's, he doesn't need to do it. Like there are other really important points in the business that he can focus on and we can find other ways to take care of the inventory. Yeah. So it's really like just. You know, as a small business owner, I can imagine that it'd be really easy to just get kind of like tunnel vision, just get stuck in things and just expect, okay, I'm going to hire you. So you just, you got to figure out how to do it. Right. But no, really, there's a lot of emotional kind of like, there's a lot of communication happening. Yeah. My, 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 my day job is, um, effectively an audio visual audio video production agency and I plug into other agencies just to, to, to kind of, you know, they'll do the creative and, and we're just a plug in. We work in a number of different ways. But yeah, I'm the same. Like I'm very much the front of it. And I have, I would say, quite a unique way of de of communicating with my clients and the freelancers that I work with. And I think something, there, these relationships uh, like so important and I think that's the scary thing just because it's not just about whether someone can do that skill it's about as soon as you hand off the relationship to other people I think that's a really kind of um scary side of it as well yeah and I I, I can agree to that and you're like that's that's kind of the beauty again of like the small record stores that it's, it's quite low pressure you know all we got to do is sell records and some shirts um at the base level I su yeah I, su I suppose it's more relevant to the label really if you were ever to pass any of that on say if you were ever ever to get someone else to be like dealing with the artists yeah 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 that's a good you know and okay so then to go towards that direction a little bit like ever since opening the shop in 2021 that's primarily been my focus. You know, it's we're open seven days a week. It's the source of stability for what we do now. Whereas prior to that, the label, to have a successful label that, you know, supports you and or a staff, like it's got to be really consistent, I imagine. I don't know yet. I'm still working on that. <laughs> but with burnout and um, just, the, you know, the shop opening and just so many things happening, um, I actually made a pretty conscious effort to kind of put a lot of label stuff on pause. You know, if you look at our, our, our schedule, like 2020, 2021, we put out quite a lot of records. That's because we had a lot of time to work on. I, I had a lot of time to work on that stuff. Um, but with the shop and everything else, I realized I don't really have the capacity to do all of these releases that are in the pipeline. And I want to say for 2022, even 2023, we had like 10 LPs last year lined up. We only put out like three records last year. Well, I want to say two of them were Call Upon records. <laughs> so the label's actually like taking a bit of a backseat, so to speak. 
so that I can focus more on not only the shop, but also myself. Um, and just make sure that like the, the wheels are turning, the cogs are oiled, like uh, the staff is happy. I'm happy. At this point, a lot of got sold has been around as a label for eight years. And so, you know, having conversations with some of my close friends, like, um, you know, I'm kind of like, I think I need to kind of put the label a bit on pause. I just don't, I can't, I can't handle it right now. And everyone's sentiment has been like, no worries. Like when you want to come back with release, more releases, like, cool. like people, people appreciate it. They'll be waiting of course, but they're not going to be mad if you're not putting out 10 records a year. You know? Yeah. I think people understand, don't they? It's, it's such a lot to do and to do it well. Yeah. And I actually had this thought, earlier today um because there's so much music from Hawaii, right there's so much music that we've covered on the blog and our mixes and whatnot and there's only so much time and energy that we can devote to reissuing all of these records that we love you know so it's like i'm actually realizing like there may be a finite number of releases we put out on the label and that's okay like finite meaning you know, for every one Mike Lundy, there might be 10 other artists that we're really, really love to put out. But, you know, just put out Mike Lundy's record and let people try and dig up the rest on their own if they really want to, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think sometimes you can feel, and I don't know if you found this with the blog, when, once you start doing something and putting this content out there, you, you can kind of feel this obligation to people but then you step back, like I was doing this weekly, and then a couple of people were like, just putting out every couple of weeks. Because I was talking about having having a month off. And they, because I got, I just got too excited by it. The people I was speaking to, and you know, you're always trying to, to build these relationships and stuff, and it's got a real buzz to it. And you're like, oh, I can't believe I've spoken to them. Da, 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 da. And yeah, people are like, just, just, just put out less. It's fine. And then you start to think, well, I'm not earning any money out of it. You know, it's not, you know, no one's going to die if I don't put one out next week. But in your head, it's easy to build up this obligation and this pressure. Or maybe that's just me. I don't know. No, yeah, it, very much I feel that. And maybe on my end, that pressure stemmed from, you know, when I quit my job, I had like, from tw end of 2017 to 2021, we opened the record store. I was trying to figure out how the hell do I make this work? I need to put out more releases. It needs to be consistent. I got to make money off of these releases. Otherwise, I got to go back to working a regular job and whatnot. So I think that's where it stems from. But the store was a blessing in that in that sense. Like it's it's provided that kind of it's it's the foundation, it's the bedrock of what we do now. And now we can kind of I can dial things back in other areas of what AGS has done and really kind of again evaluate where our energies are best spent now. Now it's throwing in store events so we can build the local community. I think that's such an important thing as well after after COVID and lockdown. Um I, I don't know if you find it but certainly around hey I don't just don't feel like local community is what it used to be. Yeah. Um, particularly because we all got tied into connecting digitally and at a distance. So anything you can do on that is is, is going to have such a, a, a payoff for you. 
Absolutely. And then even, you know, in places like Hawaii too, it's so tempting for remote workers to move there mm. and call that home. Um, but, you know, earn a salary that's New York or Bay Area, San Francisco level, yeah. right? Which is not true for locals in Hawaii. You know, it's like, it's not the same, but so there's that, you know, kind of change in the fabric as well. So having this space where people can not only come together, but also celebrate local music. That's a really beautiful thing. Yeah, I think that thing with the remote workers as well—that's that's potentially a bit dangerous to the to the sort of local economy, isn't it? If it pushes up your, your rent prices because you're getting a lot of tech workers, like in um, San Francisco, yeah, it, it could cause problems. Well, and Hawaii also—I mean, Hawaii also has military, a strong military presence, and I mean, like if you're if you're in the military, you can afford um, housing more easily or more readily than. Your typical local um, uh, resident, compared similar to like uh, tech workers as well. But I, I think it's something you we can't avoid, unfortunately. But yeah, I mean Hawaii is such a welcoming place that people are, embrace anyone who pretty much anyone who comes through, as long as there's like a mutual understanding and respect. And so that being said, like you know, as long as we can share that love and respect and aloha for people and the music on top of that like i feel like we as a record label and a record store and a collective like of music lovers like we're doing our part even though it's really small well we're doing our part to continue to kind of perpetuate hawaii its spirit it's amazing and i think what you've done you've created such a strong brand and and it clearly just comes from a passion and it's, it's great to learn a lot more about your story and just the kind of last thing I want to touch on then is, although you've kind of pulled away from DJ and DJing's now sending you all around the world, ironically. Um, so how are you finding that? <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's great. Um, I love it. It's, uh, you know, <laughs> side note, I get to go to record stores and send records back to our shop to sell. <laughs> Because you don't find stuff that you might find in when you're in London or yeah. Tokyo, you know, like in Helsinki, you find Russian records. You hop over to Estonia and Finnish jazz. Like mm. I keep some of it for myself, sure, but you know, our customers love love that stuff too. So, side note, we get to have like one of the coolest record stores in Hawaii. Also, you know, somewhat based on the selection offerings. Like, what? How did you get this record in here? You guys are in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Okay, but so um, traveling for DJing, like, uh, I don't want to say this. Like, um, you know, this festival I played at recently, the Odysseus Festival, which We Jazz put on. Um, if anyone ever gets a chance to go, it's 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 really lovely it's on a small little island you take a ferry boat from helsinki's like main area it's like five or ten minutes across the water and there's a great mix of experimental music as well as jazz um but it's really mellow and so they set up a record store in one of the the houses and that's where the djs are and i played the very first set on the friday that it opened wasn't sure what to expect uh, and then spent the rest of the weekend checking out the music acts and whatnot and watching some of the other DJs play and realizing I had another set on Sunday, realizing that this is so mellow. I can play literally whatever I want. So I did, I played a, a one hour, just kind of like 
very laid back, a lot of ambient kind of experimental type of stuff, all from Hawaii again, right? But it's this chance, like I mentioned earlier, it's this chance to kind of educate listeners in any part of the world and and capture their attention and feed them back now to Hawaii, feed them back now to our store, feed them back to our label. It used to just be our label and our mixes and whatnot. Now we have a store, you know? So um, I think the point I'm really trying to make here is like, we have the shop on the ground in Honolulu where locals and visitors can plug into what we're doing through that. Now I have the fortune of being able to travel a bit more to DJ gigs around the world. And that's like, that is really important work in, in reaching audiences who aren't able to travel to Hawaii, but we're getting on their map anyways. Uh, I feel like there's a, we've talked about this, you know, me, Oliver and Max, we've talked about this a lot. They're like, yeah, go, go travel, do as many gigs as you can anywhere. Cause that only helps us more back home. Yeah, it, it increases the connections, doesn't it? And I think face-to-face interaction is just so powerful. You know, it's maybe a bit overly obvious to say, but in a world where so much of our creation, uh, our interaction is remote, just having that in-person meeting with people, the experiences, the photos, the conversations, there's a lot to it. It's, it's very strong, that connection. Yeah. And you know, earlier earlier you asked like, uh, what was the point at which AJS kind of blew up? And I said there hasn't really been any specific points. Um, so me doing gigs in different parts of the world now is kind of contributing to this, like building the brand brick by brick, and and even the my analog journal set. You know, connecting connecting with Zag and connecting with them. In they're based in London, right? Like just making that connection alone and having opportunity to play a short uh, play a set on their channel now again we're like reaching more we're reaching new listeners that we might never have been able to listen to or to reach if i hadn't been able to travel there you know um so we we really see like the importance of being out there doing sets around djing around the world reaching these audiences making an impact all for the sake of you know, building up the music back home in Hawaii. And one of the, one of the things we want to do as a label, and we're, we're trying to tie this into the, the shop as a venue um, as well, but we, we really want to start putting out more new music from Hawaii and just represent that part of the islands. Um, as we get further and further away from kind of the golden era of the 70s and the 80s, right? Like, we got to, we, I really want to support more new local music and just, you know, um, help listeners near and far, you know, become familiar with the the talent that's coming up now. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the next chapter, isn't it? And it's and it's gonna be really exciting to see see what you unearth and what you what you get out to everyone. Um so there's just a couple more things I want to ask. I tend to ask it uh, I tend to end every episode with a couple of key um, questions yeah. and as I say I think this has been an interesting one because we've talked a lot about things that aren't DJing because it's just so prevalent but it's all about archiving and passion projects Yeah. so where I'd usually ask people for a key piece of advice about DJing I'd ask if there's any sort of 
one major piece of advice you'd give anyone that's looking to embark upon a kind of passion project that they would like to turn into their world? And I think this is a lot of a lot of us understand this more than ever post pandemic. But I feel like in our mostly Western capitalistic culture, right? When you start working on a passion project, there's this like pressure to not only do it really well, but be really successful really quickly and like hustle and make network and make connections and da da da. And that pressure is so strong that it's, it's kind of like, um, detrimental to your mental health. And so I have personally been working on trying to just embrace and understand that it's okay to go at the pace that you want to go at. And you don't need to hit, you know, you don't need to scale at X, Y, Z scale. You know what I mean? If you want to just do it yourself, if it's a one person thing and you put out something every month or every six months, it's okay. Like, just do it how you want to do it. Do it at your pace. Do it at your your scale. That's great. And uh, yeah, I, I think virality comes into that, doesn't it? If people go into the world of content making, they just want to have that one viral success. But if you look at the kind of backstory of anything like that, or kind of tech startups and things like that, it's very rare you see anything that's actually an overnight success. There's always a long story and a long road behind that. Yeah. And the, the connections you make, with people and the relationships you build, that's what you're going to take with you to your grave, right? Not the the likes or the followers or the even the money and the success, right? It's like like just just do what you want to do and yeah, be happy. And um, and so the last question would be: thinking about the conversation that we've just had, is there anyone in particular that you'd really like to hear have this type of interview? Ideally, on this podcast. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm here in Helsinki, so I, I'm thinking about my friend Mati, who runs WeJazz, you know, and he's, he's a DJ, um, I think when he has the time to do it, but he's running a lot, quite a lot of festivals as well as his label, which he's putting out, I think a record at least every month. And these are mostly new jazz recordings, right? And he has a record store. It's, I don't know how he does it, but I'd be curious to see to hear great well thanks a lot for your time today roger really enjoyed that yeah thanks adam appreciate it thanks for having me thanks for listening to the once a dj podcast if you've got any questions or feedback or any suggestions for guests please just get in touch with us at once a dj podcast at gmail.com or on instagram at once a dj podcast Take care, and we'll speak to you soon.